everybody. I hope you're doing well today. You're about to hear a sermon at Laurentian Wesleyan Church in North Bay, Ontario, Canada. Whether you attend our church or are listening for the first time, we sincerely pray this recording is of help to you. And don't forget, it's always better live. Join us each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Thanks again for listening. want to uh, look for a few minutes today as we uh, have been looking at the person of the Holy Spirit, the power, the power in you, and it's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you figure that out. You know, perhaps you came across this, uh, this story this week. It was kind of a curious story, I thought, and uh, let me read it to you, part of it to you. The North Bay Police will be working on a number of crime prevention initiatives over the course of the next few months as we approach the start of 2019. One campaign that they will be launching is called the Know Your Neighbor campaign, <clears throat> in which, um, which is a program which has been used in various communities across the country to get neighborhood residents connected to help prevent crime in their area. John Schultz is the North Bay Police Services Community Safety Coordinator, and he said this, do you know who lives across the street from you? The concept is simple. Get to know your neighbor. Work together to better your neighborhood, and they'll be launching this in the new year. I, I just found that a curious story, right, that the police would have to remind us <laughs> to get to know our neighbor, and I thought right away, well, Boy, that's, shouldn't that be a campaign of the church, <laughs> right? That Let's get to know our neighbors, right? Let's get to know them and uh, support one another and be part of, part of the community. Today we continue our series, as I said, on the Holy Spirit. As we look at one of the most significant events in Scripture and in history, the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And we want to spend a few minutes today understanding the significance and how the coming of the Holy Spirit affects the church today and also affects your personal life. The Holy Spirit ushered in the current age when all people of all nations are called to gather together in Jesus' name, in Christ. Do we bring people together? Let me read the first few verses of Acts chapter 2 that, that Tony read earlier, earlier in this service. You know, I, as uh, Tony, you were reading, I thought, boy, I gave you another one with lots of unique names in it, right? And you, did, <laughs> you did a great job for your uh, second language to, uh, to get those. Chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. As we look at this passage today, I kind of want to jump to the end for a moment in, uh, in, and ask, in this historical event, what was the outcome? What was the outcome of the coming of the Holy Spirit? And as we jump forward just a, a few verses in verse 5, 
we see that there were many nations listed that were from all over the known world. And the message of the gospel was proclaimed to them all. And as, as Bill read earlier, this event is often called the birth, the birth of the church. And certainly the, because of the Holy Spirit's arrival, but also because there were so many from around the world that heard the message and the Holy Spirit spoke to their hearts and they took the gospel back and it spread rapidly. God, God, it's almost like God knew what he was doing. The birth of the church. It symbolized a new unity in the spirit transcending racial, national, and linguistic barriers. The immediate result of the Holy Spirit cannot be understated. And many believe that the blessing of Pentecost is a deliberate and dramatic reversal of the curse of Babel. The curse of Babel. Do you remember the the story of the Tower of Babel? We're going to kind of just dig in a little bit here today, so stick with me. Do you remember the the Tower of Babel? We find it in Genesis chapter 11, verse uh, 1 to 9. And we begin there. Now the whole world had one language and common speech. And as people moved eastward, they found a plain and they settled there. They said to each other, come, let's, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the earth. And it says that that God looked down and he saw the city and the tower and he didn't like what was happening. And this is obviously my, my paraphrase, right? But he didn't like what was happening, and he confused them, and, and he confused their language. So all of a sudden, they couldn't work together. And indeed, they were scattered all over the earth, and they stopped building the city. And that is why it was called Babel or Babel. I'm not sure the correct term there. Because there the Lord confused the language of the whole World. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but you read that story, and, and part of me thinks, what's, you know, what's the big deal? They were building a big tower, right? And you know what? If you look, I kind of have an interest in, uh, in uh, skyscrapers. I just find it fascinating, you know, hearing about sky. And, you know, we're in an age where there's taller and taller towers. It's just a matter of time until we have a tower that's uh, a mile high, really. That's, uh, it's coming. And... And you look at that, and boy, even there's even a sense in the language around it that we're going to make a name for ourselves. What was the big issue? Is because they somehow thought they could reach God themselves. They somehow thought they wanted to make a name for themselves. They didn't care about making a name for God. John Stott put it this way, At Babel, earth proudly tried to ascend to heaven. And this is where the connection is. Whereas in Jerusalem, heaven humbly descended to earth. John Stott continues, In Jerusalem, the language barrier was supernaturally overcome as a sign that the nations would now be gathered together. 
not for themselves, but in Christ, that they would be gathered together. Lord, we pray for an outpouring of your spirit that we would come together. So what happened? What happened on the day of Pentecost? Let's go back to the beginning again. It would not be unusual for the Jewish people to be gathered at this time of the year. This was one of the key festivals that happened. There was a Pentecost before we think of it as the day of Pentecost. And it kind of had some layers of meaning uh, for the Jewish people. It was, uh, uh, it was celebrated for the wheat harvest, but it also was celebrated at 50 days after Passover. And Pentecost, as I understand it, I mean, 50 is there, right? So it's 50 days after Passover. And so there's an historical element to it. And just before uh, the time of Jesus, that time in between what we would call the Old and New Testaments, the I, I said I'm going a little deep here today, but the intertestamental period, uh, this, this time, the day of the Pentecost, this festival, also became a time when the Jewish people remembered when the law, the Ten Commandments, were given to Moses on Mount Sinai. There's some that have, you know, made some comparisons. There was some fire and there was some wind. And, you know, is, is that part of what God was helping people understand? And so it was not unusual that the Jewish people would be together in times like this. But it starts and says the people were together, right? The believers were together. And there must have been some anticipation for just how Jesus would fulfill his promise to them, right? Because he had physically left. There must have been an excitement, but also just a wondering what's next, And just a few verses before in uh, chapter 1, verse 14, and we have no reason to think that this was just, this was just the life of the early believers before the Holy Spirit. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and and with his brothers. And I'm reminded today that I believe it's true today as well. The Holy Spirit comes when we wait and pray together. The Holy Spirit comes when we wait and pray together. When there is a promise given, there is often waiting and prayer that comes that needs to happen. And it happens today as well, right? We like, we like instant stuff, right? And I'm no different. We like, we like things now. And sometimes we get confused. Well, you know, God, I told you last week what I need Right? But there's something in that, that conversation, the something that aligns our heart with his. And sometimes there's waiting. We pray and we seek. And we do that individually, right? I will stand before God someday, I believe, and so will you individually. I can't say, but but my mom or but my grandparents, well, don't you know what they did to me or what? It will be me and God. He knows us individually. He knows our hearts. But God wants to do his work and fulfill the mission of the church with us together as well. It's a foundation of the early church. I mean, just as you think of the word church, isn't it people together, coming together? Matthew Henry made a convicting 
a convicting statement. The followers of Jesus had prayed more together of late, speaking about this time in history before the Holy Spirit came. They had prayed more together of late. And he kind of asked this question. Would we have the Spirit poured out upon us from on high? Let us be all of one accord. There's something that God does when we come together and wait and pray. Lord, we pray for an outpouring of your Spirit. We have this dramatic picture in verse 2 of chapter 2. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. You know, I don't know if you've seen, I, I, I thought of kind of showing, you know, maybe a, a scripture, uh, a, a video of this scripture kind of thing. And, you know, I, I've seen a few videos of it, and it always doesn't seem to do it justice, right? How do you really portray that? Uh, but uh, this, was an, this was an incredible scene. What was going on here? The word that trans, that's translated spirit is closely related to that word wind, Right, so it's 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 uh, uh, it's makes sense that those things would be together. There was a wind blowing of the spirit, and it's also related to the word breath, breath, that picture of the Holy Spirit breathing on those believers that were gathered. You know, it's in our worship as we think of you know, breathe on me, breath of God. There is life there. Breathe on me. And verse 2 continues with another image. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Wouldn't it have been a, be incredible to be there and see what was that or, or better yet experienced that? God revealed himself through fire several times in Scripture. A blazing torch appeared to Abraham. You know, we know, of course, the burning bush that appeared to Moses, a pillar of fire by night to the Israelites of the desert. Of course, in the Old Testament, fire was often synonymous with purifying, right? As even we think of today, a purifying uh, metal that you would burn out all those impurities. And this was certainly a fulfillment of what John the Baptist said. Do you remember what he said? Uh, about Jesus and about the Holy Spirit. He said in Matthew 3.11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And fire. And that's why this event is sometimes referred to as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a promise fulfilled. Is a promise fulfilled. Is that two or three? I think that's number two. The Holy Spirit is a promise fulfilled. When God says he'll do something, you can take it to the bank. He will do it. Now, where we get a little bit confused is the timing, right? And sometimes we're like, well, God, you promised this. What's happening? And he says, wait, <laughs> just wait on me. Trust me. But the Holy Spirit was a promise fulfilled. It reminds me today that we can lean on him. We can depend on him. His promises are true today. Lord, we pray for an outpouring of your spirit. 
In verse 4 it says, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit because of what Jesus had done on the cross. Let's remember that, right? Jesus had taken our sin upon himself, and he made a way for God to live in us. Our sin prevented that, right? And when we come to Jesus and say, would you cover me? You know, it sounds like a crazy thing to those who have never heard it, but it is beautiful as we understand what it means. Would you cover me with your blood? When God looks at us, he sees the blood of Christ, and he says, I can live. I can live there. I can live because of my holiness living in you. Without the cross and the work of the cross, the Holy Spirit could not have filled the believers who were gathered. That's why... Jesus said to wait. He had finished the work. And the Holy Spirit came. And one of the evidences of this feeling was their ability to speak in other living languages. As we see in the verses that follow, the languages they spoke were for the benefit of those who heard them. It appeared, it appeared that the Greek speaker heard Greek from a person that did not know Greek. And In Acts 2, verse 12, it speaks about the people being amazed and perplexed. And they said, but these are Galileans, right? These are Galileans. And as I understand it, the the Galileans had a distinct dialect, right? You know, it's similar today. There's lots of English-speaking people, but you know if somebody's from Newfoundland, <laughs> right? You know if, uh, you know, I was, I was listening this week to, uh, to a podcast, and they talked about because of, because of, I guess they called it globalization and, and the internet and things like that, that there's certain places that are losing that kind of local dialect. You know, someone lives in the South, born and raised, and they don't sound Southern because, you know, everything they're hearing is not southern that kind of stuff it's just interesting how things change but you know what i mean this isn't maybe good but even today sadly there's certain ways people talk that make you make judgments about them isn't there you think oh you know you make some judgments maybe about their education or things like that and you know what the galileans as i understand it they were kind of looked down on by the urbanites in jerusalem you know, they, uh, the way it was put in one uh, commentary was they looked down them, on them as being provincial, right? You know, you kind of lift your nose and you're pro- very provincial, which means lacking refinement, right? You've all met people like that and you're like, get off your high horse. Um, but those in urban Jerusalem were much more sophisticated, you could say, than maybe the Galileans, or so they thought. But it just made it all the more miraculous, for them to be speaking so clearly to all these people from all around the world with all this sophistication. And, you know, you would assume that if, if they were able to travel to Jerusalem, many of these people had means. And uh, for them to be hearing these things so clearly from people like the Galileans. There's lots that we could say about that. Isn't the empowerment of, of the Holy Spirit to do something that we can't do? The Holy Spirit gave them supernatural ability, but also, but also supernatural boldness to proclaim the message about salvation through Jesus to all, 
all who are listening. You know, if you've been a part of the church for a while, you know that there is some, there is some disagreement <laughs> about the use of tongues and what this story means for us today. Well, I believe that the day of Pentecost was unique in the sense that it was establishing the church. However, I also believe that if there were need of someone to understand the gospel, God could do this miraculous work in us today. You know, I'd love to talk to you about if you have a different view of that. But we can agree on this. The Holy Spirit fuels spiritual fervor. And what does fervor mean? Passion or intensity? You know what? I'm kind of realizing, maybe this is strange to realize at 40, but I kind of, boy, I kind of like words sometimes, right? Because sometimes people will say, well, why wouldn't you use passion or, you know, intensity? But that word fervor, there's just an intensity to it, right? That, that it's not the Holy Spirit pushes us and wells this thing up in us. A passion and intensity. Not for ourselves, but for the mission of Christ and for his message and for the gospel. I believe that all sincere believers in Jesus Christ receive the Holy Spirit, their own Pentecost, or what we sometimes again refer to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit's filling and empowerment can happen in different ways, even after we've received Christ in our life. Scripture doesn't refer to these later fillings as baptisms again, but as fillings. And as we all know, life can sometimes cloud, cloud our view of God's purpose and plan for us. And it's certainly appropriate to pray again and again, God, we need a fresh outpouring of your spirit in our church, in my life. And sometimes, you know, words are imperfect because really what we're praying is, God, would you pull that veil away again so I can see what you are doing? I need your power flowing through me and at work in my life. Lord, we pray for an outpouring of your spirit. As we saw, especially in the life of Peter, in the verses that follow, the Holy Spirit sent the believers out to spread the gospel which is our last point for this morning. The Holy Spirit moves us out. The Holy Spirit moves us out. We speak of the Holy Spirit moving, right? Sometimes we'll use that terminology. Boy, we felt the Spirit moving today. And he doesn't do those things so we can just be happy, <laughs> right? And that we can all just feel comfortable, right? And I've had those times where I just, boy, I just needed that for the Holy Spirit to speak to my heart and say, you know what? I'm in control. You know, I am here with you. But he does those things to move us out, that we would spread that to others. Our inheritance is the church that was birthed on the day of Pentecost. He has called us to move out and impact our world in Jesus' name. You know, we live in a challenging time in history. You know, I've heard those say we need to be careful and, and measure these things with the help of the Holy Spirit because 
in some degree, we've always lived in challenging times. But we have our challenges today, don't we? Whether it be something like the, that awful synagogue shooting, or whether it be just kind of, it seems so many are, are you know, in our, in our wealth as a society, people don't think they need God anymore, right? Or they're being told that, you know what, that's, that's not really sin, come on, you know? And they're turning away. And of course, there are areas of hope that God is working. But, you know, I don't think this is a surprise to us as we look at our nation. The church is in decline right now. And so we ask the question, what do we need? What do, what, God, what, what, what would you have us do? John Stott said a sobering, a sobering thing today. Well, he didn't say it today, but you know. As a body without breath is a corpse, so the church without the spirit is dead. That's convicting. That's convicting. I'm so thankful that we're not dead because we have the Holy Spirit. But we need fresh wind and fresh fire to come over us. We need a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And as we, as we look at the challenges of today, there are lots of things that we can look at as a church in general and as our church. And we need to look at those things. And there's, you know, uh, I'm, I'm a firm believer that strategies and we can learn from other people, those are not bad words. But what do we ultimately need? We need a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit that those that would hear and see could not deny that there's something going on. <laughs> there's something going on. Breathe your Holy Spirit on us, we pray. When the Holy Spirit has his way, the wonders of God are proclaimed. There is energy and vitality. People come together. People turn to Christ for salvation. We pray for ourselves, for our church, for our, the other churches in our city, for our province, for our nation, for our world. Lord, we need an outpouring of your Holy Spirit. Thanks so much for listening today. It's our prayer that you would discover the love, joy, and purpose found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. We would love to hear from you, or better yet, why not visit us? You can find out more about our church at our website, LaurentianChurch.com. Laurentian Wesleyan Church, following Christ, growing together. Thank you.